Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life. We all know that our finances play a big part in how we live our lives. In this podcast, the advisors from Foster & Motley share insights and information about investment and financial planning topics and how they connect to your life. The investments in your portfolio usually grow. At least that's the goal. But those investments may also generate income. So what is portfolio income and what role can it play, especially in retirement? I'm Patrice Sikora with Tom Guidi, a familiar voice on this podcast and an investment manager at Foster & Motley. Hey, Tom, good to see you again. Hi, Patrice. Always good to talk to you. Tom, so talk to me now about portfolio income. Where does it come from? Besides yeah. the portfolio, what's in the portfolio? <laughs> yeah, the portfolio doesn't do anything by itself. And uh, it's all about the investments that you have and uh, what do they provide? And as you said, uh, long-term, you'd hope they provide growth, but we're well accustomed to the fact that growth isn't consistent. The growth one out of four years is a down year for the stock market. So uh, we can't really count on growth for any short period of time. But income is a lot more consistent. So when we talk about portfolio income or investment income, we're talking about the interest that's paid on bonds or the dividends that are paid on stocks and similar types of investments. So why do we care? I mean, why do we care about a portfolio bringing us income? We've got the investments in it. Isn't that the only important thing? Yeah. As I said, the income is the consistent portion of return. So if you think about a oh, stock market has averaged eight, nine percent historically, a certain portion of that eight to nine percent is income in any given year. Recently, it's been about three percent of that income, or excuse me, of that performance is income. So the income also comes into the portfolio on a regular basis, meaning that it that interest from the bonds, the dividends from the stocks, it flows into the portfolio. You can use that income to reinvest, to rebalance the portfolio. So when the market's down, you'd be buying stocks or when the market's up, maybe you'd be buying bonds. You can also use that income to pay money out on a regular basis, especially for those folks that are retired, looking to use the resources that they've saved up to fund their uh, retirement. You can use that income to fund those distributions on an ongoing basis to replicate the paycheck that you once had. So basically, when you fund those distributions from the income, the base assets remain the same. You don't have to tap into them. Yeah, you don't have to sell anything. So if it's a bad year for the stock market, which you know, right now when we're speaking, it's been a bad year for the stock market, but you might listen to this at another time where things look more rosy. But it just boils down to you don't have to sell something and maybe you don't want to anyway. Mm-hmm. Now, you also, the companies that pay dividends, specifically looking at stocks, they tend to be higher quality companies. So if you're investing, focusing on the income that a stock is providing, you're targeting those companies that have the financial stability to pay money out to their shareholders on a regular basis and maintain those distributions on a regular basis. 
Now, companies have shown great creativity in being able to doctor up their financial statements to make themselves look <laughs> good to the marketplace. But you can't doctor up a dividend. A dividend's real. It's money. It's a check, essentially, written out to all the shareholders of the company. You can't fake that. So there's a certain element of quality when you talk about a company that's paying dividends. So talk to me about durability of income. Dividends and a quality company would be one thing, but talk to me about bonds too. Yeah. So uh, bonds, a bond is a debt. It's a loan. So when a company or the government needs money to operate, they can, well, they can borrow money from the marketplace and repay it with interest. Uh, most usually it's a fixed interest rate to keep things simple. There's some things with variable interest rates, but fixed interest rate, just like you know, uh, 30 or mortgages fixed is most typical. They pay it off over time. And at the end of the term of the bond, they're paying back all the principal. So if you issue a 10-year bond, you're giving interest every year during the 10 years. And in the 10th year, you pay back everything that was owed. And that's kind of a typical arrangement. That means that if the company's not doing so good in year three, they still have to pay interest. Mm -hmm. So there's some consistency there. Money coming in on a regular basis. If you never sell the bond, if you buy it, and you don't sell it until it matures. You just wait till you get your money back, till they redeem that bond. You know, as long as that company doesn't declare bankruptcy, it's money good, meaning you get all your money back plus interest. So that in a situation like 2008, let's say, financial crisis, kind of the worst period that we've experienced recently in financial markets, um, if you're an investor in high quality companies that pay dividends, you're an investor in bonds, government bonds, and even corporate bonds. The experience of most investors was that if you looked at your statement on January 1st of 2008 and December 31st, 2008, that year where a lot changed in the world, your income was about the same. Mm -hmm. So functionally for an investor, there's a lot of comfort in that. Because if your distributions as a retiree are somewhat akin to the income that's being paid out, means you didn't have to sell at those market lows. You could afford to have the patience to wait for the market to recover. And the more you focus on that income, the higher that is, the more it takes care of those ongoing distributions from the portfolio. When I'm in meetings with clients, I meet with planners, one of our financial planners, and some of their favorite examples to show how income is important is to compare an investor in a balanced portfolio to, say, an investor in an apartment building. And if you're an owner of an apartment building, do you really care what the marketplace values that apartment building on a month-to-month -month or year-to-year basis? 
No. Especially if you're not selling. Mm -mm. You care that everybody's paying the rent, that you continue to get that income coming in. So if you're an investor in a balanced portfolio, your distributions are affordable, somewhat akin to the income level coming off the portfolio, a lot of investors start looking at it in the same way. I don't really care what the value is as long as my needs are being met. And your needs are more likely to be met by focusing on the income than focusing on some other characteristics. Tom, you talked about interest from bonds. You talked about dividends from stocks. Can you compare for me the difference between that? Absolutely. So uh, investors, I, I keep throwing around this term balanced portfolio, and I think that deserves just a little bit of description. A uh, balanced portfolio is a combination of stocks and bonds. And we say balanced, it means that, you know, somewhere around a 50-50 amount of stocks and bonds. It could be a 60-40, meaning 60% stocks, 40% bonds, but that's the term the industry tends to use for that type of portfolio. That means that the risk is still pretty heavily weighted towards stocks because stocks move more in most years than bonds move. They, they move up more and they move down more in a bad year. So bonds, the reason you own them is really twofold. One is for stability. And two is because they tend to provide a higher income than stocks. It's that interest-bearing debt from companies, from the government. So stocks, they're more volatile, meaning that they have a lot of ups and downs, but the long-term trend that we've experienced is that stocks grow over time. They pay dividends and the dividends aren't fixed like the interest is on a bond. The dividends tend to grow over time. But if a company was in dire financial straits, that's one of the tools they have is that they could cut their dividend or eliminate their dividend. So there's nothing guaranteed about the dividend. All right. Talk to me about taxes, the big word, the T word. We're talking about income and in income. I guess the government wants their part. So you got to talk mm -hmm. about taxes. So I think you have to think about where do you hold these investments? First, because there's, you know, to keep things simple, there's really two types of accounts that you could hold things. You can hold things in a taxable account or a tax deferred account. So a tax deferred account would be like the IRA or 401k or 403b plan, a company sponsored retirement plan. So you can hold investments in one of these retirement accounts. And even though you're getting income and coming into the portfolio, you don't have to pay taxes until the money is withdrawn from the account. So it really doesn't matter that you're receiving this income on an ongoing basis in a retirement account, a tax-deferred account. It really just matters when you withdraw the money. Now, for a taxable account, which would be like a trust account or an individually titled account, some people call it a brokerage account, or it could be held jointly with uh, two people. Taxes start to matter. So first off, bonds, the interest that they pay is taxable as income, unless it is a municipal bond. 
So municipal bonds issued by states, local governments, they have a lower rate of interest, but it is federally tax-free interest. Mm -hmm. Stocks have you know, their own tax complications. You, you pay capital gains potentially if you make money on stocks and you sell it down the road, but the dividends are also taxable. And most stocks pay what's termed a qualified dividend. A qualified dividend is a dividend that is now taxed at the same rate as capital gains. Now, what's special about that is capital gains tax rate is always lower than an income tax rate. The tax brackets for capital gains for the federal government are either 0%, 15%, or 20%. So you'd add that to your income, and it's taxed at a special lower rate. So they're not discouraging companies then from paying money out because it's the same rate that investors pay when they buy or sell stocks. Now, some things that trade as stocks pay non-qualified dividends, and the most common that you'd run into are real estate investment trusts. So these are uh, special types of stocks. They have an organization that allows them to avoid taxation at the corporate level. But that means for the individuals who invest in them, when they pay income out to their shareholders, it's taxable as income. They lose that capital gains or that qualified dividend advantage that other companies have. So all things being equal, if we have a client that has both an IRA and a taxable account, we're going to take all of the investments that pay income, so interest and non-qualified dividends, that's taxable as income, and put them in the retirement account, the tax-deferred account. We're going to take all the things that we can that pay qualified dividends where we expect to have an advantage tax rate and put those in the taxable accounts. That way the client ends up, the investor ends up with a lower effective tax rate. Makes sense. That's why you need a, an accountant. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do anyway. Yeah, oh. and now the accountant's role is to write the history books. They tell us what's true. already happened. This is true. Yeah. I would say that's why you need an investment manager, but <laughs> I might be a little off. bit biased. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Absolutely. Or, or at least there's people out there who are very good at these types of things and do it for themselves. It takes some reading. It's not for everybody, but I, I will admit that you can use these same tools yourself as an individual investor, but you just have to be cognizant of Okay, th this type of investment belongs in certain types of accounts. Mm -hmm. uh, we term that asset location. So where do you put the investments matters. And now this brings us up to a question too. We've been talking about portfolio income. What if you have a portfolio that doesn't create income, mm -hmm. doesn't generate income? Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of companies out there that don't pay a dividend yet. 
They're generally younger companies, companies that are still growing. They're using that the cash they generate to fuel internal growth. So they can't afford to pay a dividend. Um, you'd have to, you'd not be investing in any bonds potentially if you don't have any income. So yeah, there's, there is plenty of investors who focus on more growth oriented companies, skew bonds entirely. I'd say that focus on capital appreciation and ignoring the income that the investments provide, you're losing a couple of things. You're losing, you're investing on average in lower quality companies. As we said, the dividend's a mark of quality. It's real. It comes out to the shareholders. There's less room for the kind of shenanigans that companies can employ to doctor up a financial statement. So if you're losing that focus, you're likely investing in a lower quality. Also, you're leaving your you're losing that consistent part of performance. The dividends, the interest that's paid on an ongoing basis is the consistent component of return. So you expect more volatility in your portfolio. And anytime you need money out, you have to sell something, which might not always be the best time. So I think that you know, that's a way to do things but I think it is a less efficient way to do things that opens yourself up to more risk. You've been talking about individual stocks, individual bonds. What about a fund? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's mutual funds that invest in bonds or stocks that pay dividends. And there's exchange traded funds, which is really a mutual fund that trades throughout the day on the market that's focused on an income, or excuse me, on an index, uh, typically. And some indexes are dividend focused. So there are some opportunities to invest in funds that employ some of these same characteristics. The problem on the bond side with some of the mutual funds or exchange traded funds is that they might not produce the level of income that you'd expect. For an example, right now, a U.S. Treasury bond pays four to four and a half percent, depending on the uh, maturity for that U.S. Treasury. By the time somebody listens to that, that might sound quaint. I don't know if interest rates are going up or down, but four to four and a half percent is current. If I go out and I buy an exchange-traded fund that invests in U.S. Treasuries, the current distribution yield is just two. That's a big difference. It's a really big difference. And the reason for that is, as far as I can tell, and I I think this is... um, this is true is that the they've experienced some losses on the exchange traded fund uh, from interest rates rising it caused all bond prices to fall which brought interest rates up to where they are today and they use those losses that are realized to offset income now offsetting income is good from a tax perspective So you don't have to pay as much in taxes. So there's a positive there, but it means that the 
portfolio is not getting the same level of cash flow. If you're an investor in individual U.S. treasuries, you could have made those same tax decisions on your own. You can buy and sell very efficiently U.S. treasuries and realize losses if it makes sense from a tax perspective. But all along the way, at this point, you'd be getting four to four and a half percent portfolio income. You'd be getting that consistent component of return. So there is something missing from investing in exchange-traded funds. You don't get that same level of income as consistently as you would investing in individual U.S. treasuries. And it bleeds over to all bonds. From the stock side of things, I think the real disadvantage of the funds that focus on dividends is that too many of them focus on just a few industries that pay high dividends at the expense of portfolio diversification. So a kind of very simple example is they'll have more in something like utilities and less in something like technology stocks. Well, technology is approximately 25% of the U.S. economy as measured by the uh any index, the S&P 500 index, the valuation for the S&P 500 index. But if your fund only has, say, 7% in technology stocks, you're really missing out on a lot of those opportunities. You're missing out on diversification. There are tech stocks that pay dividends. It's just not at the same level as utility stocks or energy stocks or companies in a few other categories. So I think with you can build a portfolio that's well-rounded and still focus on dividends. And you miss that with a lot of what's offered out there with exchange-traded funds, with mutual funds. So what are some steps investors can take to, to make sure that they have the portfolio that they want? Yeah, if you would like to take a look at the income, it's actually, if you take a look at your brokerage statements, the statement from your financial account, they have a line that shows the income for the portfolio. And generally it shows position by position, how much income that you're receiving. So you can see, where is my income coming from? How much am I getting from all my different stock investments? If I have mutual funds or bonds, how much am I getting from each of those? And take a look, see how much income that you are receiving without even working. <laughs> it sounds nice. Now, how can listeners reach you, Tom, or other folks at Foster and Motley to talk more about this? Yeah, I think there's two great ways to reach us. Uh, the first is over the internet, www.fosterandmotley.com. Or you can give us a call, 513-561-6640. And follow this Foster and Motley podcast about life and wealth. Please share with others as well. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster and Motley. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Keep in mind that rules and regulations are subject to change. 
Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster & Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.